0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Communitas podcast, where we share stories and insights on culture, the church, and living on the missional frontier. I'm Jeff Reinhardt, president of Communitas International. Andrea Asher, chief mobilization director, co-hosts. We interview guests from around the world who are striving to transform lives and communities through writing and living on mission. Let's start the show. Well, I'm sitting here in Bobbio Pellice, Italy, with a a dear friend um, and great sage, I would say, to the Communitas organization. We're here at a Communitas event uh, with European leaders, and I'm with Andrew Perryman. And Andrew, welcome. I'm so glad you're taking the time to do this today. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be here. We couldn't pick a better spot, could we, really? Oh, it's just lovely uh, here in the, the mountains yeah. uh, of northern Italy. So, Andrew, for, for those who aren't part of the organization that are listening in, uh, give just a little bit of background. You've got a, a long history with the organization, but certainly a greater history In the study of theology and in teaching in a number of areas, so give us a little background.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think of myself primarily as a a New Testament scholar. uh, I mean, I don't particularly like the term New Testament theologian, whatever you want to call it. So that's been my uh, that's been there for pretty much my whole adult life, wanting to do that. We connected with. I mean, we were in Amsterdam back in the early 90s. So I started a PhD at the Free University of Amsterdam. My wife was working for Shell, well, this explains why we were in the Netherlands, and we started going to Crossroads Amsterdam, which was, you know, the church was in early years at that point. They'd been around for two, three, three or four years. And uh, that that sort of got us interested in, in well, uh, this question of what does church have to become right. to reconnect with uh, the world around, and this is this some way back in, in Communitas terms. Um, but then it's uh, that was we came and went a little bit. But then it was a journey, uh, pretty much with the community all the way through to, to today, and and so I, I think of myself uh, trying to sort of work out. Well, I, I like New Testament Sundays, and I think there's some really interesting things coming out of biblical studies new testament studies over the last few decades and, uh, and i think it has something to teach the the, the church as it engages with in mission hmm. uh and i also think that uh, that works the other way as well that the the church as it engages in mission in particularly in the european context which is what i'm most familiar with now uh has something to to say to the, the theologians yeah. So, uh, to, 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 you know, if, if they can find a way of, of connecting these two tasks, both of which are very important to me, uh, the the church moving forward in some sense in in the context of uh, the the post Christian in post Christian Europe after Christendom, whatever language you want to use. Uh, if we can connect that work with what is going, the sort of new perspectives that are emerging in biblical studies or have emerged over the last few decades. That, that, I think that's exciting, but it, it sort of satisfies nobody. So the, 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 scholar, the biblical scholars aren't interested in mission, and yeah. missionaries are very practically minded people and aren't that interested in, in reading the scholarship anyway, Incredibly, so yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's my dilemma.
0: Yeah, Well, so I'm curious, a cynic might say, we've had the New Testament scriptures for a couple of thousand years, don't we know everything yeah. there is to know about them? What What, what is What is so uh, new yeah. uh, about the scholarship that's coming in the last couple of decades? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, the, the cynics have good questions sometimes. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, it, it, probably two things, uh, at least the two main things to emphasize. One is that Okay, those 2,000 years saw the coming and going of Christianity in Europe. And and so we are reading the Bible now from a very different perspective to how the early Christians did. They, they read the Bible in a, in a pagan context in, in the expectation that their message was going to change that world. Hmm. We read it uh, in uh, in a post-Christian context where the message did change that world. Uh, uh but now we're we 're moving into something different so uh, we history has put us at a point where it it, it does make sense to sort of reevaluate um uh, our our understanding of the whole biblical storyline uh and and i guess part a big part of that is it's it, it, we have, it, we are wake we've been shaken awake yes. by this this sort of the trauma of the collapse of christmas it's it's, it's very slow. So, uh, you, I guess, you know, shaken awake is perhaps a too strong a term. Mm. But we are slowly waking up to the fact that we are in a de- very different world now mm. and having to come to terms with that. The, from the, That's sort of the missional experience, you know, the, 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 the church doing mission in Europe end of this. We can also look at, at the, the reading of the New Testament part. And probably the, the most important development in the last uh, 50 years has been the recognition that, that Jesus is part of Israel's story mm. and he's not, he doesn't sort of come into the world out of nowhere. Uh, he is a first century Jew and in the first place he is is wrestling with uh, first century Israel's situation and the dilemma that his people faced under Roman occupation. and. and that we've we've learned that I mean that the, the idea has been around for for much longer, but if, just the, something like the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, sure, uh, in the middle of the twentieth century, uh, made us much more conscious of, of how well Jesus fits that that situation. Hmm. He, he's not alien to his Jewish context. Hmm. He, he fits really well, and and a lot of for, from the point of view of scholarship. Putting Jesus back in his Jewish context has, has helped us to understand uh, Jesus in the first place. It makes considerable sense of what he says and what he does, uh, but it also helps us to understand what, what comes next, and, and when you, you take the Jewish um, a message about the Jewish Jesus and take it, that into the pagan world, mm. and so we're doing, you know, simply so now we've embedded ourselves in that context much better, yeah. which, which the church wasn't that interested in for the best part of those 2,000 years because the, we, they'd made that transition into the Greek world, Greek and Roman world, settled there, uh, and developed a whole way of thinking, a, world, a Christian worldview that made sense in that context. That's all come to an end. At the same time, we have got a much better understanding of where Jesus came from, what he came out of, and why he was, under, why he was so... Interesting, so significant, and so transformative uh, in that context. Oh, that's fascinating. So, uh, being a a late '50s
0: white man myself, uh, certainly it wasn't until I did some of my own studies and theological masters and things like that where where this became a reality for me. What you're just talking about. But probably since certainly the Reformation and probably before, close to the Middle Ages, there's been a projection of of Western civilization on the image of Jesus. Yeah. So so we're saying now that, that we're changing that. We're being shaken awake by it. What does that mean for the church
1: today and the church going forward for tomorrow? Oh, well, I, it, as I said, it's a slow process. So you, you might have come across it in, in in your studies. I might have come across it in in my studies. The extent to which that has uh, impacted the the life of the church and the thinking of the church. Well, that that's taking time. Uh, yeah, I, it's a, it's a, my, to, to my way of thinking, the most important thing uh, out that we we get out of that. Is to understand how God was engaging with the history of His people through Jesus, and then through Paul and the apostles and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, that we're not simply dealing with a, a rather detached, uh, abstract gospel, or, uh, or or one that is, is just so focused on the, the universal individual person. It's that's that's, that's that, that that has that's part of it. But, but what's really going on is the story of a people. It, it's, it's, a, it's playing out at a political level or some bigger, on some bigger scale than simply individuals relating to God. There's, there's a lot more going on. It's a, it's, we're dealing with God's people in history. That perhaps is, is one of the key uh, gains that you, you know, potentially the missional church yeah. gets from that, is, is that we take our own historical context seriously We look around us, uh, and we ask hard questions about why things are as they are from the church for the church, why things are so difficult, uh, and and where where it's going, and it, and if we've got some sense of of uh, where God is taking this, how God is taking these people into the future, what lies ahead, then that that tells us well, this is the sort of people we need to be because this is what's what's down the road for us. Mm. Um, so just to, to sort of give a go back to the New Testament. The, the theme of suffering uh, is, is runs all the way through the New Testament. Yeah. In, in ways that we actually, for us in the West, it doesn't mean a great deal because we're, right. we don't suffer like right. that. So we, we probably find ways of, of sort of walk it, walking around or, or allegorizing it. Yes. or Or inter, you know, this is some sort of internal psychological pain. Or, or, or somehow or making like, ourselves false martyrs.
0: Yeah. We yeah, are well the persecuted. That's, and, yes. You know, well that's, certainly that's in the United States. Point, yeah. <laughs> Which no, is a crazy
1: okay. thought, but. Yeah, not just the United States. Yeah,
0: well. Yes,
1: we would like to think that we're yeah. persecuted. We're not. Yeah. We're yeah. ignored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if only we were persecuted. Yeah, yeah uh, so, um, I mean, I. think uh paul wrote to the romans the church in rome around what A D 55 56 something Mm -hmm. like that and and suffering runs right through there we will be joint heirs we're heirs of god because of the spirit Mm -hmm. and joint heirs with christ if we suffer Mm -hmm. with him yeah and in in romans 8 and it's eight years later that that Nero was rounding up the Christians according to Tacitus because of the fire and uh, they were being executed in his gardens as sort of public entertainment. And these are the people who had that letter, only eight years, that's not very long. Mm -hmm. Paul had some intuition, from Revelation, whatever you want to call it, that he was calling people onto a path that could lead to something like that. It's, It's there all the way through his writings, all the way through the New Testament so if if that 's where you think things are going you know for, for for this community, then you teach them how to deal with that and you you, you build into those communities the, the the values and the the memories and and the the, the the resources the resilience or whatever it is so that when when that sort of day of persecution comes everything 's not just swept away right. uh, so there's something' do so that's that 's what they're doing in the New Testament because persecution, opposition would, would seem to be the... That was what's going to stand in the way of, of, of God fulfilling his purposes. And you need to ask a similar question. Well, uh, what, 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 what does the future hold for the church? Mm. I mean, th- th- that's not an easy question to answer. I'm not, I'm not pretending it is. Uh, but having if you can get some sense of what the future holds for the church, then you've got an idea of what the church needs to be. Uh, how you do discipleship? Why you do discipleship? This is not just some generic, uh, standardised Christian development program. Right. It's it's for a purpose. This you, this is what the church needs to be if it is going to fulfil this purpose down the road. So, I, you know, these these are the sorts of lessons that I, I think w- would help us think more concretely, more realistically, uh, and more hopefully. About the future, because that's the, that's the situation in Europe. If uh, yes, you can do church from week to week, and and you sort of hope people will keep turning up. But th- that's not the storyline. That's not yeah. the the trajectory. That's not the slope that we're on. Uh, so we have to ask hard questions about the future, and we trust that uh, God will. Uh, uh, you know, as we as we do that exploration, that inquiry, that that. Uh, that study, or whatever, you know, whatever it takes. Sure. That, that thinking, that, that it will become much clearer to us, maybe already has become clear, what we need to be now. And then, just to sort of add one more point to this, because, you know, we've been talking about this t- t- today. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's what you invite people into, or it's what God calls people into, and not just a new relationship with him, not just even a new community, but a new story about the, the place of his people and the witness of his people in this this particular context that, that we face, most noticeably in Western Europe, uh, but it's, you know, it's not difficult to think that in America, for example, yep. uh, certainly something similar is, is playing out, a, a similar narrative.
0: You know, I think the Western mind, certainly the, <coughs> the, the U.S.-American mind, uh, doesn't, grapple well with the idea of suffering, that suffering is part of the equation. Hmm. Um, so I want to explore that a little bit with you in the, in the meaning of what true community looks like. Uh, so there are a couple of, of questions around this. One is, we're talking about Western Europe and the United States, plus other areas in the world, but but thinking of those two areas specifically, many people would be surprised to hear that those are mission fields. Hmm. Because traditionally, yeah. I mean, certainly, the, the, Europe has been the sending point yeah. uh, to to bring the the good news to the world, right? Yeah. Uh, why is it a Why is it a mission field now?
1: Uh, well, it's uh, the best way to think about it. Uh, it's it's the rise and fall of civilizations. Yeah. It's uh, Christi. Uh, you know, Europe, pagan Europe, the, the Greek and Roman world used to be that classical pagan civilization which rose and fell. It conquered vast areas but, but didn't last forever. It was replaced by a Christian civilization Yeah. which for 15, 1600 years or, you know, and there's a long tail to it. We are now, uh, that is being replaced since the Enlightenment or, you know, however you want to talk about it with, uh, what I think effectively is a uh, an enhanced sort of humanism, enhanced by our, our capacity to control the world around us. So uh, rationalist yeah. humanism, yeah. Uh, scientific humanism, technological humanism. So we, it's not just a matter of what we can do as individuals. It, it's what we have been able to do as a hugely competent society. The, the, it's, the, it's, uh, that's extraordinary, what humanity, the, what Western civilization and increasing global mm-hmm cultures have, have achieved in that sense so that that's taken over and uh, in the process uh the worldview shifted and th- those big questions that used to be answered with reference to god are now answered with reference to uh humanity's capacity to explain things yes um and if we can't explain things then we're quite happy to leave that as a, a blank and it'll get filled in at a later point
0: yeah Interesting.
1: Do you think, though, th- thinking of next generations, the,
0: the generations behind us and the generations to come, is, is there a backlash at all to some of this, I, I would call it empiricism or even authoritarianism of the past? It seems like there, there's a bit of a rejection of that and, and a seeking for something different.
1: What, what does that potentially mean for... You, you mean to the general culture? Yes. The, the, yeah. the society? I, I think we're beyond that in Europe. I, there, there has been. I mean, you can you can go back and read, you know, uh, literature from the 18th and 19th century where people are doing that. I mean, the, yeah. we're talking about an intellectual elite at that point, but there's, there's plenty of people, uh, plenty of novels and, and so on where uh, you can see that story playing out. Uh, the, uh, I, we're beyond that now, and, it, and its I, I think... Uh, what do I think? Um... No, I mean maybe you're right. I mean, maybe how this sort of seeps into the po- into, a pop- into a popular into the popular culture culture. It's a it's a long slow story. I mean, even if you just only go back to the sixties, yeah, uh, and and the sexual revolution of the sixties, that's that very clearly we are going to take responsibility for human reproduction. Okay, and part, chiefly because we have. Um, okay. What's the word birth control there's, yeah we, we, we can control that yeah. uh, obviously abortion is part of that debate in a, sure. in, a, in a slightly different way but it's, it's primarily that you can control conception mm-hmm. so it, that liberates women which, which has been an extraordinary step forward socially in so many ways but it's just one example of how uh, I, I think it's less I think there's less of a reaction against but every now and again when the, 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 you ha- the people have a sense that the tradition is trying to stop someone doing this so to so stop gay marriage Uh, or or something like that, then yes, there's a strong pushback. But I think now we've been on this road for so long and and the momentum is so strong. I doubt many people feel threatened uh, Hmm. by, uh, I mean, I came across the phrase... um, in, in something I was reading recently, where the, the, it, 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 we finally realized that the, in, in terms of ethics, the, the, the boot is on the other foot. It's no longer the church's foot right. on which the, we got, it's got the boot on. It, it's society. The society's taken this over and, you know, thank you for the last 2,000 years, uh, there are bits and pieces of what you've bequeathed us that we're very, you know, we're very comfortable with. And we're, but we're going to develop, we're going to move on now and the assumption is that will continue. Uh, and, and until we, we live it. We, we develop a thoroughly human, human, humanistic hmm. worldview. And the church will, just, Christianity will just be felt as a thing of the past.
0: The, these last couple of days you've been, been teaching an ark, uh, which for our listeners... Uh, You can explain a little bit, but essentially, it's it's a crisis, stasis, (laughs) crisis, stasis.
1: Not not quite in that order, but well, well, uh, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) the arc of history, in a sense, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: Most indications are that that we are either already into or quickly headed toward another period of crisis. Uh, certainly, one could say, "Well, with COVID and now global warming and a number of other yeah. things, the economy, all, the war, all kinds of things, could say that yeah, we're absolutely in the midst of crisis." How how does that play in the concept of the church? Does yeah. it does it take a crisis to make the gospel story relevant to culture?
1: Well, I, that, yes, I, uh, very possibly. Very possibly but that's a, that would take some unpacking obviously but the the crisis thing so so sort of thinking biblically I mean, the, what I've been trying to the way I've looked at this is in a sense if God's people are in a state of crisis from the exile all the way through to uh, if the, the conversion of the, the Greek and Roman world they in, in the sense that they're not in control of things. The the empires are in control, running are running things in one way or another, and sometimes Israel and then the church is really under the thumb of, mm. of, of pagan empire, under the foot of, mm. of pagan empire, uh, and and so that's a critical period. And one of the things that i that, that I've been that I've been trying to get across is. In many ways, the church, the people of God, can't be what it's meant to be under those circumstances because it's oppressed, because it's not free, hmm. uh, because we are, you know, we are. We need to be set free. This is Zechariah. We need to be. We want to be liberated, really, from the hand of our enemies. Delivered from the hand of our enemies. Uh, so god 's people should be a, a, a call to be or created to be a new creation in the first place and then to function as a royal priesthood mediated between the living god and the the, the a godless creation uh, surrounding it but when things go wrong and when when you end up in exile or uh, under hellenistic uh, you know, pressure to abandon your your faith because the Greeks think, you know, pr- progress is becoming Greek. Yep. Uh, or Roman occupation or the, the Roman persecution of the church, all these things. Then it seems that I like the idea of, of bringing Isaiah's servant in, into focus. Mm-hmm. Partly because it's a very easy way to talk about Jesus, uh, the, the suffering servant. Mm-hmm. But it's also a way th- of, of, of highlighting the fact that in these difficult times... God uses a weak and vulnerable and unattractive um, servant mm. who learns obedience again and learns to trust, is forgiven and learns to trust and then becomes an instrument of, of, of transformation. And in that, con- in that uh, original biblical crisis, the big transformation is it goes back from Isaiah to Philippians 2 almost, mm. The, so in words of Philippians 2, uh, the, the conviction that sooner or later every knee will bow. And, and I think Paul is thinking primarily of the, his, his pagan world. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that was Isaiah. That's That goes back to Isaiah, mm-hmm. Isaiah 45, uh, where that thought emerges in the context of the exile. So it's taken all that time for that vision to be fulfilled through that whole long period of crisis when Israel was weak yeah. or the church was weak, and that's that sort of joining up the story of the church with the story of God's people, which sort of goes back to what we were saying earlier. Um, so then, well, you know, maybe that's where we are now. Uh, after Christendom, we're back ever since, you know, the, with the collapse of Christendom, so not just, you know, the, the immediate, not just the 21st century, but for the last 200 years or, or more, the church has been in a state of crisis. And uh, as secularism has increasingly taken control of society and setting the, setting the eschat- eschatologies, we have a different type of future now, which is given to us by, uh, you know, whatever secularism as dreams of at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and the whole, you know, the ethical debate and so on. The, the secularism has taken over that. Uh, we also now have this this growing awareness that we that, that, that the whole the, the whole world is in jeopardy yeah. uh, because of, of climate change, and we, we're not exactly sure how that's that's playing out. And there, we, some people have reservations, and, but fine. Uh, so we it's a, it's it's a, again as as just as in the biblical period, we're dealing with a long hundreds of years. Of crisis, right. when the, the the church in we see this certainly in the in the European context less so globally, and that's not so necessarily the case, but certainly within our perspective, the church has become weak again. And and instead of uh, just you know, struggling to sort of keep hold together what we've got, keep our next heads above water, or go back to the past, yes, maybe there's a sort of we begin to understand how a weak, uh, unattractive, marginalised ineffectual Mm. sometimes, Mm -hmm. servant of the Lord, in in Isaiah's terms, in very many, many respects, Isaiah's terms, could over time become the the means by which God does something new. And that won't be the same something new that he did in Paul's world. Yes. Uh, necessary. or in Jesus' context, okay, uh, or, you know, going back in Isaiah's world, sort of bringing, you know, this new thing, bringing them back from exile. Right. Uh, but it will be what, what our world needs, hmm. because this is, uh, I guess this is a, a key conviction, and again, it, it's part of the biblical studies thing, uh, playing out the story that we're telling all the way through tells us that this is the God of history. This is not just the God of my heart or the God of, of all creation. And we either sort of reduce it to something too small yes. or we expand it, inflate it to something much too big. Ah, um, yeah. But the, the, the God is in that sort of, you know, somewhere between the two, in, engaged in, in the history of the planet and the history of his witnessing people through that whole thing and and I wonder if now if this sort of servant idea and and the point about being so yes as humility yes you're serving but in in Isaiah it's very in Isaiah 49 and Isaiah 53 it's this servant is despised and and you know the nations look on this in the Jewish context in the original context this is probably the the, the Jews in exile yeah. who are there because of their father's errors Yep. Um and and, and, a, and a weak, and they they are homeless, they're, they they they're stateless, uh, they are struggling to sort of hold some sort of identity together. And we can look around the world and see people like that today. Sure, um, and yet it's precisely those people that God begins to use. So it's it's no longer Israel in the land with uh, you know a glorious city and a glorious temple. It, it's uh, and and a king and everything else. It, it's it's that, that weak and vulnerable people who become the agent of, of transformation. But, you know, we should, I think we should be slow to, to, to say, well, this is what that transformation or that, that impact will involve. And you know, I, I trust it will become clearer. Um, I'm not asking you to necessarily give a prophetic vision here. Yeah, um, that's what I'm trying not to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah
0: but, but it does seem to me like there are, there are kind of two ways this can go in an immediate future. One would be that uh, people seeking to have things be the way they were would want to go to more of a theocratic, authoritarian um, kind of, of system yeah. where power is actually seen as the thing that is that is most important. Right? Are we talking and, and about the church or are we
1: talking about
0: society? Well, uh, both. Yeah. I mean, if, if we look at, you know, Christendom, there, there was a lot of empire and power combination
1: Yeah.
0: Um, that did a lot of wonderful things, but it's also led us, I think, to where we are today. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So,
0: you know, we talk about the suffering servant. Uh, is there going to be a rejection of that? You know, of course, we, we don't know, but there, there, we could be in a place where we're going more toward an authoritarian. Uh, kind of way of being, which which maybe is is necessary during crisis.
1: Um, yeah, that's I mean that's sort of come up in, in the last few days, and I'm not sure i have really given it much thought before. But, uh, I think. See, my assumption would be that you know Western democracies, highly advanced technology, really would would have to deal with it, and and we would remain functional democracies. But if you put a, a system under extreme pressure, uh, one of the as you say, one of the things that can happen is is that you uh, you look to. Uh, strong, controlling, autocratic, totalitarian forms of government and leadership, and uh, yeah, that could be part of, of what lies ahead. Um, but you know, this this is it's, you know, maybe there's a prophetic dimension to that this this is for sociologists and, and such like, sure, to to I- imagine. I, the, so, but uh, telling some of these sto- telling these stories as, as part of the story of the church. Uh, and, and beginning to th- at least beginning to think, well, well what, what what demands will be made of us yes. as communities in the future? And that may well be one of them. That, the, the preserving uh, some form of spiritual, uh, moral, uh, freedom. Yes. In 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 this state of crisis, as, as well as hope. I mean, there's all sorts. Of, who knows what what how this is going to impact us? Yeah. I. This is a biblical scale. <laughs> Uh, situation that we're we're potentially moving into, and, and if, if if we can't find you know uh, where the God of the Bible is in all of this, then uh, yeah, that would, that's rather unfortunate.
0: What word of of hope or guidance would you provide to next generation leaders that are, that are looking to um, be gospel oriented and, and develop faith community?
1: Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I'm not sure I can give a very good answer to that, but I, I am some. I am impressed by the sort of instinctive ability of younger people hmm. to get much of this. Hmm. I've I've sort of tried to get something like this message across in all sorts of contexts, uh, and and struggled with with my you know people our our age group because yes. we, we're so. Uh, you know that the old way of thinking is so ingrained in us. Yes, um, the people people who get this are not the theologians or the pastors or the biblical scholars. It's the historians, yeah, because they think you know they're just asked they're thinking differently. They're asking different questions, but I do think young people are growing up in a very different world. So their their future is already painted in very different terms to ours, even in outline. Yeah, uh, and you the church won't engage with them at all if it doesn't. Give them scope to explore those instincts and to believe that uh, it's precisely in in dealing with the world as we see it, with all its uh, alarms and and concerns and anxieties and everything else. Uh, I I think you know that maybe that's just for now. One thing that I would stress is I do trust the spirit of God to, to to help the next generation yeah. uh, understand the context in which we need to, to think out our, uh, our mission and our being church and so on. Yeah. Um, and maybe the other thing is I, you know, I'm not dismissing the the importance of big churches or churches that, that get a lot of people together and, and generate a lot of excitement on a Sunday. I think this is a huge part of what's going on. But there's also an exploratory, experimental yeah. Thing and I, I feel that as communitas, we're, we're sort of we're, we're much more at that end, and, and we're making mistakes sometimes. Sure, but I, I, I think we're also finding, discovering things, and I it, to to learn for the church in the Western context to not to be divided, not to, not to sort of uh, it's like a wedge. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're at somewhat towards the thin end of the wedge, and and there's a but there's a bulk behind that that could be really valuable, the, the bulky part of the wedge. Uh, in in trying to sort of prise open some way in, into the future, and you don't want to just sort of break it. So mm. that the the big end of the wedge does one thing, and the thin end of the wedge does something else. If that makes any sense, yeah, absolutely. So no, working together across the the experience of the church, yeah, uh, could be a really important part of this. It, some listeners and myself included,
0: struggling with this a little bit. What is, what is the the line, if there is one, between Orthodoxy and that this openness and experimentation and not yeah. being afraid of, of current reality and, yeah. and uh, speak to that.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I think it can up to a point. Um, obviously, there's a orthodoxy means a lot of different things. Yeah, I, if if we take orthodoxy to be uh, that biblical account of what it means to be in relationship with God, um, so part of that is. Uh, it, you're, it's, you're in the context of a people, so that that's a key part of Orthodoxy. You're in context of a people that has a purpose, um, and, and we've talked about that a little bit in terms of having a, a priestly function, because I think that that's that's profoundly biblical, um, and in in having that purpose over time. So, and and often a lot of the the problems arise because of sin, because the people sin, that God's people fail Him. And, and you, then you go through it. But anyway, I mean, the, 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 that's, that's sort of something fundamental. We get to one of the things that happens in the New Testament is that Jesus dies for the sins of his people in the first place. I mean, that, there's there's no question about that, that that's how the New Testament sees it. And then that is found to ha- to open the door to Gentiles becoming part of this. So the death of Jesus as, as a, a death for the sins of of his, first his people, then for the Gentiles and, and so on. That That's there, that's orthodoxy. Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is Lord and Christ on the, for the sake of his body, and the the life and ministry and ongoing uh, existence of his body throughout time. That seems to me fundament, you know, a fundamental, a key point of biblical orthodoxy that that doesn't get lost in this, in fact becomes even more important because mm-hmm. You know, the, the appeal to the Lordship of Christ at a time of uncertainty uh, and, and fear. This, this is exactly the condition that you cry out hmm. to the One who has gone through the darkness on our behalf. So that that's there, and uh, put, the, the Spirit has been poured out on 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 a people. So we no longer live according to the law. Uh, we live according to the, or uh, well, at least we live according to a law written on our hearts by the Spirit of God. Uh, and the, that spirit is also a prophetic spirit, so that sort of points us towards the future. If we have the uh, gift. I mean, maybe you know, not everyone's going to see it this way, but I do think there's a prophetic part to that uh, uh, pneumatic orthodoxy, the, the the place of the spirit in this. So I think you, you've got the, the sort of the basics of a good uh, trinitarian orthodoxy mm-hmm. there. That we are serving. Uh, the one God, and uh, we confess as Lord his Son, Jesus Christ, seated at his right hand, in, using sort of the biblical language, and we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we do this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if people become part of this, they confess that whole thing, they they take that on, they leave behind everything that doesn't belong to the service of the living God. Yes. The sin, uh, and, you know, it's our cultural sin. Yeah. Just as it was the cultural sin of the Greeks or the cultural sin of the the Jews in the first century, we leave behind our 21st century cultural sin Mm. and become part of a a different uh, people. So there's, you know, that's all there. You you repent, you leave that behind, you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is, is sort of taking us, (laughs) <laughs> whether we like it or not in, into uh, uh, I loved that image that oh you missed it um, I don't know if we can I'll, I'll fill you in on this yeah. April had this image of a shepherd leading sheep into a dark chasm uh. so you come up you're, you're leading the sheep they're, they're happily following along but when they get to this sort of dark cavern they don't want to go yeah. um, they don't want to go into it so they they'll hold back We'd rather stay here, and that she had this thing of them, the, you know, that you see that the way animals, when they don't want to do something, sure. how they shy uh, uh, away. Uh, and and this, but they go because they know the shepherd's voice, voice. Yeah. and I, you know, it, that's sort of where we are in, in many ways. And we don't, we, we could hold back as the church, um, and and try and sort of just keep things going as we're comfortable with and familiar with and and I don't want to be too negative about that. There's there's something profoundly good about any community that that praises God on a Sunday morning. Um, But on the other hand, I think you you look at where we are, we have a, a God who is calling us into the future. Yeah, and we are learning uh, to recognise that voice, and we are learning a new obedience mm. to, to be uh, that that broken and vulnerable servant people again, who are learning to to follow God in, into this uh, dark, you know, and uncertain chasm, not quite knowing sure what lies ahead, um, but but being prepared. I mean, that, you know, just as Jesus taught his disciples, you don't know. Right. when this day is going to come. I mean, I mean you, you, like the guy in the house, if he you know when the thief was going to break in, you would stay awake and everything would be fine. Uh, so we, we need to be ready. Yeah. Without, I don't want to be too melodramatic about this. This is not some sure. a, a sort of some silly apocalyptic right. thing about this. I'm trying to keep it realistic. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's part of the rethinking our theology so that it, it, it's a, a serious engagement with the real world that we're dealing with. Right. Uh, and not some more... I don't know what the word, how to put it, but yeah.
0: Well, I, I like how you how you brought in that Trinitarian kind of aspect, the, the orthodoxy yeah. aspect to it, and, and yet the openness to say that forms may look
1: very new and different. Well, history changes. Yeah. We, we can't, we're not just, we don't keep going back to the, to the New Testament church. Because yes. the New Testament church Good. was dealing with its own yeah. world. Yeah, But we, the, the terms of being God's people haven't changed. Uh, so we are, we are dealing with a different phase in history, but under the same terms. Yeah, uh, and that would I would say is the orthodoxy that counts. Christendom had its ways of, of defining what orthodoxy was. It uh, worked under under those conditions. I think we, we in this new fe- period of crisis, I'm finding that the biblical you know to go and reverting to the, the New Testament language. Uh, rather than the sort of the, 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 the heightened language of, of theological orthodoxy mm-hmm. that uh, that we inherited from the Christendom period, personally, I'm finding that more helpful mm. because precisely because it, it's addressing a, 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 it helps us to understand and address a, a challenging historical situation, a, a period of transformation, a period of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, which is what it, that language emerged for, that's what it was designed to achieve. It was designed to form churches that would need to uh, go through a very difficult, dark tunnel before they could settle and relax again. Yes, exactly. The not, so, so the, way the, the, way the, the way
0: relevancy the of that ancient story is, is profound
1: to yes, us. Yes, it is. Right now. Yeah. yeah. So y- yes, we, we are going back and we are learning lessons from the New Testament period. But we don't literally go back to that time. Correct. So we have to, to do the imaginative, creative, spirit-driven part of thinking, well, you know, where is God now yeah. when we are dealing with the post-Christian context with uh, a, a, the massive uh, controlling power of, of secularism around us and this growing fear of, uh, sort of social collapse or, uh, you know, whatever climate change Brings for us if, if that's the way it goes. I mean, yeah, brilliant.
0: Well, thank you so much for, for sharing some of those thoughts on that. Uh, wh- what are some of the projects you're working on with Communitas right now? And then I'm going to ask you more about more broadly about some of your projects and things we can point to okay. in your own podcast, yeah. things like that.
1: Um, yeah, I, uh, what, with Communitas, one, I guess one of the things is, is sort of de- developing this, this sort of theological frame yeah. for, for mission. So we've been doing that a bit in the UK, uh, taking the community test dynamic adventure model and then just sort of, okay, let's, let's step back and look. Well, why? Uh, because that was devised for people who are already at the point of thinking, yes, I want to do this sort of thing. How do I do it? Right. But you, you go to churches in the in the UK, for example, and they, it, that doesn't, you know, they're not there. We need an on-ramp. Yes. Which is not a, a very British expression. But we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll use it. Um, so it's, it's trying to do that. And we've done that a few times uh, with... Uh, I think enough success to sort of let's keep working this we, we can develop it further um, that we potentially I'd like to sort of develop an advanced you know an advanced theology of missional church so yeah. worry less about the practice and, and give people a, a chance to think a bit more about the the, the with some of the things we've been talking about here, yep. to go into into a bit more depth. So I, I'm enjoying that. I think that's that's giving me the opportunity. when to go back to the start, to to really bring the biblical part and the missional part together. That I, I found encouraging. I and I, you know, I, I see the interest in that mm-hmm. somewhat. Yeah, I'm mainly in the UK, but clearly churches are asking these questions. How do we move forward? Yes, uh, and it has to be we have to find new ways of in, of placing ourselves in society yeah uh, so this, you know, I hope some of this helps that it's not everything we need to, to understand so uh, yeah maybe write a try and write the book of missional theology uh, Beautiful. along yeah. these lines maybe uh, I could do that in the over the next year or so that's that's been on my mind okay. um, but the, the blogging, you know, I, I carry that on. That, I, that's sort of a, the, the cut, well, I won't use the cutting edge. Um, but it, it is, that's a context in which to sort of push some ideas a bit further. Sure. Um, than a useful. Yeah. Uh, I, see I, mean. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I see what's out there and where, you know, where, what opens up. Yeah. Um, as, as being a sort of an interesting line of inquiry
0: absolutely well we'll have links to your blog in the show notes as well, well as to that's very kind of you. well certainly yeah and, and to other things you're engaged with too what, what are some of your more recent writing projects and how can people engage
1: with those oh i've got a couple of well a couple of journal articles and mm-hmm. academic articles that i stopped doing that for about 20 years so I've gone back, tried to go back, partly just to sort of, you know, keep at least to myself. I've still got some credibility as a, <laughs> as a biblical scholar. Yeah, one of them's going to be published. The other one I'm waiting for. Um, what are they I'd love to talk to you I can't talk about this now sure um, that would be fun to talk about some of the implications of, of those I've got a book uh, with the publisher at the moment on um, early Christology and Paul, Pauline Christology which will be part of a series that the publisher's doing on early Christology huh. good uh, that should come out later in the year and that's, that's looking at Paul. And, I mean, part of the, a lot of that actually plays into this, this storyline that, that I've been talking about. Yeah. Um, but also, there's a particularly asking, asking how the Greeks, you know, once they hear this message about a risen Lord, uh, how, the, how would they have understood it? What sort of, you know, just trying to sort of put your look at this through the eyes of uh, a, a Greek, convert to Christianity, with coming with a very different experience of, of divinity, a very different um, concept of God, and so on. So anyway, that's, I won't go, that's, a, for a, we'll see what sort of impact that has, if any, when that comes out.
0: Good, good. Well, it is an absolute joy to, to speak with you now, and it's a great joy to work with you, and what a gift you are to uh, this organization. Uh, so... I hope you hear that, and uh, oh, I, I, you are appreciated.
1: Uh, <laughs> I heard it. Yes, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, yeah good. I,
0: I hear it, and, and I'll just let the audience know that Andrew can be a pain in the butt as well. But but for the most part, you uh, might want to explain that. <laughs> <laughs> thank we'll you. leave that yes. to the imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, no, I'm no. Certainly, no. Right. It's certainly, certainly not. Um, So yeah, do please check the the show notes and we'll give you links uh, to various resources from Andrew uh, that you can check out. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share this with your friends. We're available on all the major streaming services. Uh, And as always, if you have further information or questions about uh, Communitas, you can visit us at gocommunitas.org. And we look forward to being with you next time.